songs on Tuesday and Thursday afternoons live here on my Facebook page at 3 p.m. Central Time on uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays. And then it uh, shows up immediately following that on our uh, Church, West Irwin Church of Christ Facebook page and later on our westerwin.com uh, uh, live streaming page. These lessons on Philippians show up here on my live Facebook page on Sunday afternoons at 4 p.m. Central Time. And then right after that, I share it to our West Irwin Facebook page. And then at 6 p.m., they're shown actually broadcast on our westerwin.com live stream page that you can find on our website, westerwin.com. Irwin spelled E-R-W-I-N. That's a street that our church building is on. Uh, we've been in the downtown area of Tyler, Texas since 1885. And no, I have not been the preacher all those years, but I have been for over five years now. And so I uh, uh, hope that you're able to find that, westerwin.com. Uh, scroll over to where it says social media and resources and then uh, click on the live stream page. Scroll down a little bit and you'll find that big blue box. That's where our live uh, services are on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. And also where this uh, study is shown at 6 p.m. And uh, then if you scroll down a little bit more under the blue box, you'll find some other links. One of them says uh, archive. Click here video archive, and that's where all of these previous lessons are. So there you go. Hope that helps, and so glad to have you along uh, for the ride this afternoon in the book of Philippians. We have covered through Philippians chapter 1, where is uh, an amazing entry and introduction to this great letter. As Paul talks to those who share a partnership in ministry with him as fellowship in ministry, that term koinonia used in that context in Philippians chapter 1. Later, he says, I'm not sure if I'm going to get out or not, but for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That great verse in Philippians 1. And uh, however, his expectation, as we have said, is that he'll be released. And that's what happens, as best we can tell historically. The book of Acts doesn't give us the uh, end of the story uh, as uh, uh, it just leaves him in under house arrest in Rome at the end of the book of Acts. And that seems to be when Paul writes these letters we call the prison epistles, uh, Ephesians and Colossians and Philemon, and of course, our Philippians. Uh, chapter 2, that great passage where he calls on us to be kind and considerate and respectful and loving to each other and gives the greatest illustration ever in verses 5 through 11 of Philippians 2. Uh, have this mind or attitude in you, which was also in Christ Jesus uh, who, though in very nature God, uh, emptied himself, uh, gave up those uh, things and became a man, still the son of God, still worthy of worship, still able to forgive sins, as the Gospels tell us, even while he was Jesus of Nazareth uh, in ministry here in this world, but uh, ultimately crucified for our sakes and raised from uh, the dead and then uh, taken up to the Father and will one day See every knee bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That great, great passage, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Then we're told to continue to work out our salvation, bring it to completion as God is at work in us. That very next verse says in chapter 2. And now that brings us really to chapter 3 after a, a short 
uh, illustration of what that looks like that he had been talking about. Uh, the first illustration and the greatest one, Jesus of Nazareth. But then he talks about two men that were very familiar to the church at Philippi, uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus, uh, who had worked with them and worked with Paul and were uh, would be at, at has been as Timothy had been and would be uh, travelers with him. And uh, Epaphroditus, as best we can tell, had come to Paul uh, with news and was going to... Um, was going to be one of the ones that worked with Paul, and um, and Paul would be uh, communicating back and forth with the church at Philippi. So that brings us to uh, chapter 3. And chapter 3 is one of those classic, classic passages. I know you hear me say all the time, this is one of my favorite passages. Well, there are a few places where Paul gets autobiographical. And uh, if you know me very well, you know that I love uh, artists who are autobiographical. That's why I love Neil Diamond and John Denver so very much. Uh, Bruce Springsteen is another one that's an incredible writer and singer uh, and and is able to perform those things uh, in an autobiographical way. Billy Joel, the same way. Uh, love them all. And um, and I think that as you read the the uh, letters of the New Testament, and, and especially the Apostle Paul, every once in a while, he will break into a passage where he tells his story. And that's certainly the case here in Philippians 3. It's also the case in, in 1 Timothy 1. And we'll mention that in just a moment. But um, for Paul, in Philippians 3, he begins to ask and answer the question, in what are we to rejoice as Christians? And what are we to take pride? What, what is it that we point to and look at and say, this is, this is where I really find my joy. This is, this is what I'm most proud about, most that brings me the most happiness that I rejoice in more than anything else. He will say, as you know, in that great, great passage in Philippians 4, a theme passage probably for the book of Philippians, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. That rejoicing comes in the Lord. And Paul states that very clearly in Philippians 4, verse 4 and the verses that follow. But he also states that clearly here. And he asked the question, what, what sh and where should we find our righteousness? Where, where does that come from? Uh, is it from ourselves? Is it do we point to our own godly lives and good lives and and uh, sincere actions, or do we find that somewhere else? And Paul could point to a life. Yes, we understand. In fact, that passage in First Timothy one, as he's writing to Timothy, and tells his story for a few verses there. Um, he calls himself a, a violent man, a, a blasphemer, and a persecutor of, of God's people. And, and he was. And he's going to talk a little bit more about that in Philippians chapter 3 as well. But what he also says, is, in, especially in that passage in 1 Timothy 1, is that he did that with a sincere heart. He honestly thought that he was doing God's will. In fact, he was fulfilling what Jesus said to his disciples would happen. And the very first few verses of John uh, chapter uh, 16, Jesus says, hey, they're going to be there's a time coming when people are going to be uh, very mean and cruel and violent to you in opposition. Some will even take your life saying that they are doing God's will by doing it. Well, that was that was Saul of Tarsus. And so when we get to chapter three, he he shares a little bit specifically about that. And he does that for a reason. 
he does that so that we ourselves, certainly the ones that he was writing to in Philippi, and just like every other church in the first century, uh, there was that Jew versus Gentile background, and it, it was troubling. The Jewish Christians had a hard time letting go of the law of Moses, and not just letting go of it, but taking pride in it. Taking pride in the facts that, fact that they were Jews, that they had that great history uh, with God that dates all the way back to Abraham that no one else shared. And, and they took pride in the fact that they had that law of Moses and God didn't give that to anybody else but to the Jews, to the descendants of Abraham. And so the Jew, Jewish Christians could look back and say, hey, we got a longer history with God. And so the book of Ephesians, the book of Galatians, the book of Romans, uh, all of those uh, deal specifically with that issue and with that question. And I think to some extent, Paul is dealing with it here in Philippians 3 because he was one of those Jews. And even though he was a Jewish Christian, he never took pride in that fact uh, because he, he was quite ashamed of how he had acted towards God's people as a Jew. But now, as a Christian, he acknowledges the difficulty that he has had in, in what he points to and says, my righteousness comes from there. So let's read these verses. I'm going to go ahead and read Philippians 3, 1 through 11 today and just tell you that today we're going to look at the first half of that about. And then next Sunday, we'll look at the other half. Today, we're going to look at, at what Paul took pride in, his own righteousness, uh, before he became a Christian. And you'll see in the verses that follow, the verses we'll look at today as we read them right now, that, um, that Paul says, I gave all of that up. Philippians 3, verses 1 through 11. Further, my brothers and sisters, uh, rejoice in the Lord. Again, this is based on what he's talked about in those first two chapters, and he'll come back to that in chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Verse 4, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. And this is where he, he turns the page and speaks a little bit about that in specifically. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. And those are the verses that we're going to cover today, but at this point I do want to read the rest of this passage beginning in verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, verse 9 says, that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Verse 10 of Philippians 3, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. 
I told you it's a great passage, and it and it continues on, and is wonderful as we'll look at it in the weeks to come. But uh, next week we'll look at the last part of that, where Paul speaks so much from the heart and says, "All of these things that I could have taken pride in, and did, I gave them up. I turned my back on them. I considered them as trash, garbage, refuse, dung, uh, so that I could take hold of that which is really worth taking hold of." I did this so that I could know Christ Jesus and be in relationship with him and have a righteousness that is not my own, but that comes from God himself. Um, but let's that'll be next week. As you can see, I really want to do that lesson. But just as Paul does, let's talk about um, how we find our own righteousness and have such difficulty uh, turning loose. Of, of that righteousness. So ours isn't like Paul's that we turn to the Jewish law, but it's related to law nonetheless. Just as Paul had difficulty giving up uh, that pride that he felt in the things that he did right according to the law, we do the same thing, don't we? We look to the times when we were faithful. We look at the times when we did what was right, when we turned our backs on what was wrong. Um, we take pride in those things and we point to those things and we say, see, I'm a good person. And we may not say the words, but what we're saying is I deserve to be saved. I deserve to be in heaven with you, God. And when we rely on our own righteousness, that is exactly what we're saying. And I don't think any of us wants to say that. So a couple of things of emphasis here in these first uh, six verses that Paul shares with the Philippians about his own righteousness uh, before he gets to the righteousness of God. First of all, circumcision. And when you read circumcision in the New Testament, then you know that the writer, a lot of times the Apostle Paul, is talking about the Jews. A lot of times they call them the circumcision. They're talking about the Jews. In this case, Paul is talking, again, speaking autobiographical, uh, talking about his own circumcision, his own Jewish heritage and faithfulness. Um, these first three verses, as he shares them, uh, that's exactly what he's talking about. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. This is the, that's the subject that he wants to get to. And the first part of doing that is contrasting the righteousness of God with our own righteousness. And he spells that out in very, um, very plain language. Uh, verse two, watch out for those dogs. Uh, beware of the dogs. <laughs> we see signs on yards and fences that says, beware the dog. And, um, and that's exactly what Paul says here, except the dogs he's talking about are not the four-legged kind, but the two-legged kind. And specifically, those who were Jewish Christians, uh, those who would try to force others to obey the law of Moses and to become not just Christians, not just disciples of Christ, but Jews. Verse 2, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Again, he speaks very graphically in this passage, and there he's talking about the Jewish rite of circumcision. And it was the sign of the covenant that dates back all the way to Abraham and Ishmael. And then later Isaac on his eighth day was circumcised and Jewish males from then on were to be circumcised on their eighth day. Um, Paul says, watch out for them. 
Uh, watch out for those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Verse 3, for it is we who are the circumcision. And now he's talking about Christians. And he, he says, it's not the Jews who are the circumcision. If you want to talk about spiritual circumcision, it's rather Christians. We who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. Uh, he contrasts the Jewish followers of the law with Christians who uh, follow the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, this language is very similar to language that we read in Romans chapter 2 and in Colossians chapter 2, where Paul looks back at the Jews and he says, look, they, they, couldn't, they couldn't do it. They had the law, but they didn't follow it. They didn't obey it. Uh, speaking specifically in Colossians 2, he says, look, if you're guilty of any part of the law, you're guilty of all of it. And that's the difficulty with being saved by the keeping of law, any law. That's the difficulty of, of looking to uh, law keeping for your righteousness, because if you if you're going to do that, then you have to keep the law perfectly. You have to keep the law in every aspect. Uh, Paul would say in some of his writings, look, the same God who said don't commit adultery also said love your neighbor as yourself. And and as we consider all of the laws that God had given to the Jews uh, and it give, as given to humanity, we recognize that to keep them is uh, theoretically impossible. And uh, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that there's, it's not impossible. There's no temptation that's overtaken you, but such as is common to all of humanity. And God will give you the way out because he's faithful that way so that you can stand up under it. We could do that. We just don't. And so Paul says for the Jews, they can't take pride in being the, the chosen nation. They can't take pride in being descendants of Abraham because even though they had the law of Moses, they didn't keep it. And that's what he tells them in Romans 2 and in Colossians 2. Again, Paul uses very strong language, mutilators of the flesh, he calls them. And, and he's signifying the importance of this issue of not putting confidence in the flesh. And then he pivots and he says, but if anybody could take pride in their circumcision, if anybody could take pride in their Jewish heritage in obeying the law, that person would be me. And so he speaks of that pride in verses four through six. Um, I myself, he says, have reasons to have that kind of confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he was right. And he gives a few of them right here circumcised on the eighth day, verse five, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, the first king of Israel, King Saul, was of the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, Benjamin, of course, Joseph and Benjamin, uh, two of the 12 sons of Jacob, two of the 12 tribes, and um, both of them through um, uh, Jacob's beloved Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin. So there was a lot of pride just in being in. There was nothing Paul did to earn it or to do it. He was just born that way. But it was a blessing. And he took much pride in that. Circumcised on the eighth day. Again, his parents were very faithful. Uh, he was born a Roman citizen, but he was also born a Jew and became a Jewish leader um, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He says uh, he would also call himself a Pharisee of Pharisees. And here he says, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. Uh, 
The Pharisees were a, a sect of the Jews. As you know from reading the Gospels, Jesus had much difficulty with the Pharisees. And what set them apart from many of the other Jews is their adherence to the law. They not only studied the law, but they strictly tried to observe it and obey it. That was Saul of Tarsus. And that was why he had such a hard time accepting Jesus of Nazareth. That's why he was there giving approval to the death of Stephen, the first Christian martyr at the end of Acts chapter 7. That's why he became the point man in Acts chapter 8, persecuting the church. That's why he was on his way to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, to find Christians and to uh, arrest them and to bring them back to Jerusalem to stand trial just as Jesus did before the Jewish authorities, and then to be punished, to be beaten and flogged and imprisoned and even put to death. Um, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, and then verse 6, that part that he was more ashamed of than any other. As for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. He was a persecutor and a violent man, he writes to Timothy. Timothy, you know how I was. And he tells him in 1 Timothy 1. Um, and, and you couldn't question Paul's zeal. When he writes about to the Romans in Romans 9 through 11 and talks about his, his brethren according to the flesh, his Jewish brothers and sisters, um, he says they have a great zeal. But it's not according to knowledge. And we talk a lot today about zeal and passion, and, and those are good things. But it's not just the faithful who have zeal. It's not just the faithful uh, who have passion. There are others who are very passionate. Uh, those men who flew those planes into the World Trade Center towers uh, on 9-11 of 2001, they were very zealous. They were very passionate about their cause, but they were wrong. And that's what Paul says too: zeal without knowledge, he calls it as he talks to the Romans. And he says, you know, I'd lay down my life. I'd give up my own soul uh, if, if that meant that my, my Jewish uh, brothers and sisters could be saved. But there's only one Savior. And Jesus died on the cross for all the world, as he says, but only the world that will accept him and believe him, and seek that relationship with God by faith, not by law-keeping. And that's what Paul says here, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Well, not completely, Paul, <laughs> obviously. He still had sins, and his sins come into play when you see what he did with the followers of Jesus Christ. As far as obeying the law, you bet. But when you talk about actually obeying the will of God, um, he didn't see in that law all of those words from the Old Testament, from the law, from the prophets that said that God would bring about a descendant of Moses himself. He writes, God writes in Deuteronomy and one who would be that one like Moses, but we were to listen to him. Uh, Paul didn't see that as being Jesus of Nazareth as one who would welcome not just Jews, but non-Jews, the Gentiles, by faith. Paul came to learn that after, after being confronted by the Lord face to face, but he didn't learn that until then. Uh, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. As for zeal, persecuting the church. Um, 
how difficult it must have been for Paul to turn his back on his whole life, everything he knew, his whole heritage, all of his Jewish life up to that time, which could be perhaps he was probably around 30 years old or so when he became a Christian, probably about five years or so into the existence of the church. And um, Paul turned his back on all of that. And as he says in those verses we read, starting in verse 7, whatever was a gain for me, I consider it a loss. I gave it all up so that I could have not the righteousness of Paul, but the righteousness of God, that is, by faith. Um, still a, a very hard thing. This is Paul's list. What's yours? If someone were to ask you, what do you cling to for your own righteousness? What would you say? Maybe it's your baptism. Maybe it's you've been a Christian all your life. Maybe it's I've been a faithful attender of the church of Christ all my life for decades uh, maybe it's morality. You point to those things that are condemned, Old Testament and New Testament, and you say, yeah, I've stayed away from all of those. Um, maybe it's the service that you bring for the sake of others. You willingly and unselfishly do good deeds uh, and help those who are in need of it. Um, whatever that is, those are all good things. Those are all good things. They just can't save you. Because you have to do all of them. Just as Paul wrote to the Colossians in Colossians 2, you have to fulfill every law if you are going to look to the keeping of law for your salvation. Paul says, yeah, nobody could do that better than I could, but yet still that was not enough. And it's not enough for me. And my friend, it's not enough for you either. And that's why Jesus came. That's why he died on the cross. That's why his blood was shed. And that's why we have hope, not because of anything we've done, but because of what he did. And because of that gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, there is a response of faith. There is another way to be saved rather than strictly by perfectly keeping law. And that is by responding in faith to that gospel of Jesus Christ, by believing in him. Jesus said, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins, John 8, 24. Repenting, turning away from our sins. In Luke 13, unless you repent, you will perish as well as these others that they had been talking about. Um, confessing that faith, uh, Romans 10 says, uh, with the heart, uh, we believe unto salvation, and with the mouth we confess that same faith. Um, and then being baptized, Peter tells them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, Acts 2, verse 38, and many other places uh, that we talk about. Paul himself hearing the message from Ananias as he responds, as he reports himself in Acts 22, verse 16, what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Even though Paul had been praying and fasting for three days, even, <clears throat> excuse me, even though he had seen Jesus face to face on that road to Damascus, still he was called to get up, be baptized and wash your sins away. Paul gave up those things that he just mentioned, that Hebrew of Hebrews, that Pharisee of Pharisees, that persecutor of the church with great passion and zeal. Paul says, yeah, that 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 couldn't save me. That's his list. What is yours? Those things you're going to have to treat exactly the way Paul treated his righteousness. 
And that's what we're going to talk about more next week. On Sunday afternoon, we'll be able to look at this great passage, starting in Philippians 3, verse 7, about God's righteousness, not my own. I look forward to sharing that message with you next Sunday afternoon. God bless.